this time of year, we have decided to kind of focus on what it means to abide in Jesus Christ. And for us to call ourselves followers of Jesus, how we understand and experience this is very critical in finding joy in our relationship with Jesus. To abide is often not a very common word that we use in our lives or in our daily language. I mean, how many of you actually say abide to your neighbor or to your, even your children? That's not really a common word that we use. But that is exactly what Jesus asks us to do. And more importantly, we often rush to do things. So when we hear the word abide, we often look at a to-do list to do that. But for me, and for all of you, I want you all to remember to abide means first being rather than doing. Because a lot of times, the outside, if it doesn't match the inside, there's going to be conflict, and there will be lack of joy. And so this concept of abiding has to be understood first as what it means to be like Jesus, to be with Jesus, rather than to jump hoops to do things. Because if the inside doesn't match the outside, then there will be a lack of joy. The word abide means to stay or to dwell. And the word abide comes, uh, is uh, connected to the word abode, which many of you are familiar with, is a word for a dwelling place, a home. And, and this seems to imply that when Jesus asks us to abide with him, he's saying, make a home with me, and I will make a home with you. It's this concept of that we are one, we are connected, we are together. And the question for all of us this morning is whether or not you are really experiencing this oneness in your life that brings you spiritual joy. And if you have not figured this out for yourself, I encourage you to seek after that oneness because otherwise, true joy on earth will be very difficult for you to know. So it's kind of a profound kind of concept. But first, being one with Jesus is very significant because all the doing doesn't matter without that oneness. We are in a series based on the Upper Room Discourse where we have chosen to go into John chapter 13 through chapter 15. And we're going to look at the words of Jesus. These are kind of like the parting words that Jesus had for his disciples before he was arrested. And in that Upper Room Discourse, he was having the Last Supper. He was having a meal with his, his disciples. And he was... Um, pouring out his heart to his 11 disciples at this point because one had left and betrayed him. To those 11 disciples, he was teaching them what it means to abide. And we will look at John 14 this morning. And before I read that passage for all of us to hear, I want us to ponder this other question. And the question is, when someone comes to you and says, I have good news, bad news. So when you hear that, which one do you prefer to hear? 
Yeah, I agree. I heard someone say bad news. Personally, that's what I like to hear first. I like to hear bad news first, then you can tell me the good news. Um, currently, we're planning for a church retreat. Uh, maybe there's a little plug for a church retreat that's happening in March again. It'll be March 20 to 22nd, so mark your calendars, plan for that weekend. We've, we've uh, recruited three excellent speakers, so we're going a little bit different this time. Instead of one speaker, we've got three. And um, so I hope you will join us that particular weekend. But as we're planning, there's a lot of, lot of planning that goes into a lot of personnel that, that we like to invite to help us, like for children's and youth and the worship, because we like to give our people kind of a rest. And the bad news, we got bad news because the people... Uh, the team of people that we usually have worked with in the past, this recent past recruits, uh, retreats, they weren't available. So sadly, we can't join them uh, at a retreat uh, as part of our serving teams. But the good news, uh, and this came through Caitlin, who's a great person with a great network, she has said that there are other people ready to step up. So no pressure, Caitlin. So you got to come through here, <laughs> since I just announced it to the entire church. So bad news, the previous teams can't come. Good news, we have people ready to step up to take their place. Another example, uh, every year we have our, during the summertime, we have our eye screening. So one year, in particular, one of our uh, partner vendors said they couldn't provide uh, vital Uh, optical equipment for us. That was the bad news. But good news, another optical vendor said they could step up and give us uh, the optical equipment and actually even give us even more equipment. So there was bad news, then there's good news. However, if we actually are uh, reflective and look at all these kind of situations that come in our life, there are times where the good news and the bad news don't always work out for the best. Oftentimes, the good news just doesn't overcome the bad news. And one particular case for me was uh, the time when my father was having um, serious health issues. And this was like the last uh, months of his life. And he had uh, a situation where He started to not be able to breathe. Um, He was having chest pains. Um, So he he had to be rushed to to the hospital. And so my family, uh, my brother and I, my mother, as we talked to the doctors, and they consulted to us, they said the good news is we were able to stabilize him. And uh, he'll be able to be discharged to go to rehab, to intensive nursing care. Uh, but the bad news is, um, best prognosis, he may have six months because his heart was just failing. And so you can imagine the heaviness and, and the, 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 the emotions going through uh, myself and, and my brother and my, and my mother hearing this news. That's bad news. And, and, and it's in these times when you're troubled like that, who do you turn to? Where are you going to get comfort? 
And so I want us to, to think about that context because that's exactly what happens uh, when Jesus is meeting his disciples. He gives them the news in that upper room that he's going to leave them. And the disciples, upon hearing this, are troubled. They're distressed. And we're going to look at the words that Jesus shares to them in John 14. And if you have your Bibles, you can file along with me. And I'm going to begin with uh, verse 1 in chapter 14 of John. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That's the word of the Lord. To comfort the disciples, Jesus had um, three astounding statements of good news for them. And I'm going to highlight these three for us this morning. And one of the statements that Jesus makes, it's, it's an amazing proclamation of who he is. It's an I am statement. And I love I am statements in scripture. It tells us something about God, a characteristic or a quality that is foundational and like rock solid truth. Those are the things that, that come after those words, I am. And even in the Old Testament when God says who, who he is, and he simply says, I am. That in itself is so comforting and satisfying that God says, I am all that you need. And all I have to do is say, I am. And in John 14, Jesus makes a very known proclamation about himself. And this, this proclamation is sandwiched between two promises. So if I'm going to go through kind of a structure of my, my message today. There's going to be a promise the proclamation, and then a promise. And these promises, these amazing promises, are a result of us abiding in him. 
First promise, to comfort his disciples, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And we see this in verse 2. Now, we're all familiar with real estate, right? Property. And if you talk to any realtor, what's important about real estate? Location, 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 right? Where a piece of property is gives it tremendous value by its location and its convenience or its nearness to schools. There are many factors that go into finding good property. Now, I'm at an age stage where I get a lot of um, marketing brochures for retirement communities. And uh, it's kind of fun looking at these places because, you know, the, the 70s and 80s of today are pretty still spry young people. <laughs> and they do amazing things at these retirement homes and communities. Well, if... Just imagine if you got a brochure and it was giving this kind of a description of a place to retire to. Imagine paradise, the happiest place in the world, where there's amazing musical concerts daily. Where would that place be? Is there possibly a place like that? Well, Jesus is telling his disciples He's preparing a place in his father's house. And his father's house happens to be heaven. And heaven is like paradise. Heaven is the happiest place in the world. Matter of fact, the universe. It's a place where there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. And it is a place where there will be musical celebrations concerts every single day glorifying God the Father God's place God's home the Father's house is heaven and isn't that kind of cool that that can be a place where we will eventually retire to and Jesus according to the scripture here he promises that he goes to prepare a place for those who follow him, but he makes that promise that he will come back and personally take us to that place in heaven. Jesus says, abide in me, and you will have an eternal room in heaven and with God. So after this first promise comes this iconic proclamation. I am the way and the truth and the life. And we see that in verse 6. And in that statement, there are three profound concepts of who Jesus says he is. So what what is Jesus telling us about himself? Well, the first thing he speaks of is that he is the way. Now, how I'm, uh, I'd like to kind of illustrate to you the concept or the idea that Jesus is trying to talk about here. I'm going to illustrate it. I have several objects here. <clears throat> this first object is this key. Uh, this key belongs to the, to the front door of uh, my childhood home. So this key it was given to me when I was a little kid so I could open the front door to enter into the house. So this key is about 
50, over 50 years, almost 60 years, how old this key is. Still works. We never had to change the, the lock. And, and so for this, this represents uh, security and comfort because it allowed me to open the door into my, my family's home. Uh, to abide in Jesus kind of means being at home with Jesus. So many of us have beautiful memories of our childhood homes. At least, I hope so. I remember going home, and whenever I went home, when my parents were still living, I would go and my mother would be in the kitchen cooking my favorite comfort foods. So just entering into the house, I could smell the food that she's cooking. And for some of you, maybe it's the baking that's happening in the oven, you know, warm banana bread or chocolate chip cookies. I mean, those things begin to, to bring those, those fond memories of your childhood. Or entering into the house, I would see my father in his favorite chair reading the paper. And, and that would give me security that I know that everything's okay. Those memories back, bring back emotions of comfort and security. And there's that saying, right? There's no place like home. And like this key that opens the front door to, to my house, a place of safety, a place of good memories, a place where I belonged. Jesus is the key that opens up heaven for you and me. Jesus is saying, I am the way. When Thomas asked, how do we know the way uh, to where you are preparing a place for us? Jesus answered Thomas, if you know me, then you will know the way. It's all about relationship with Jesus. Jesus knows us, and we must know him. Nothing else will get us to heaven. There is no other way. The next thing that Jesus says in that proclamation, he says that he is the, the truth. And, and I was having a conversation with one of our retreat speakers. And so a lot of us have heard the term postmodern, right? So there's modern time and then there's postmodern. And now culture has changed and we are now what we call in a post-truth era. And we just have to look around us to, to realize truth is very hard to find. Lying is commonplace. It's actually acceptable to stretch the truth, to lie. And we don't have to go too far and just look at the political climate where we have people who are in authority very willing to lie, to say falsehoods, and then to blame any semblance of truth as fake news. Who can we trust then? If everything around us is in this post-truth era, false. And to discern what is true and what is false is very critical to make it through life, to make appropriate choices and decisions, relationships. Without truth and knowing what is true is problematic. Yet what is true back then is true for us today. That Jesus says he is the truth. Look to me for the standard of what it means to be true. And for me to, to kind of illustrate this, this characteristic, what is truth? 
Or what is Jesus saying, I am the truth? A lot of times when, when uh, 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 actually back in the day, I don't know how any of you went through mechanical drawing. I know a lot of times everything's done by software now. But back in the day when you had to do mechanical drawing, there was instruments that we used, tools that we used to, to make sure things are actually 90 degrees, true straight line, you know, like a T-bar, 90 degree triangles. I know some of you are going, what are those things? <laughs> it's almost like talking about abacus versus a calculator, right? <laughs> and, and oftentimes when, we, when, when I'm building things or, or repairing or restoring, we have to know what is level, what's truly horizontal, what's truly vertical. So we have to use a tool, right? And this is called a leveler. Uh, hopefully a lot of you have, are familiar with this. There's these bubbles with it in a solvent, which is, creates... Uh, tells you what is level or not. So actually, we can see if this... Oh, that's pretty good, it's level. Um, so with this tool, you can determine if something you're building or repairing or restoring is actually level or, or um, vertical or flat or wall. Because without that, you, you can build something and it'll just be askew. Just because you can't tell without some sort of standard... To, to compare it with. And that's what Jesus is saying to us is that when you're looking into the world, what can you know is true or not? He says, look to me. Have me. Have me in you. And I will provide you with what is true or not true. Jesus says, I am the truth. To contrast this concept of Jesus being truth, we just have to go to the other side of the spectrum, to realize that falsehood, lies, deceit, deception, that's part of what Satan, the devil, does. Satan is known as the liar, the deceiver, versus Jesus is the truth. If we abide in Jesus, we will have the Holy Spirit to guide us in that truth. And truth is very important for wisdom and discernment, which we all want, because without it, life would be very difficult. Because who can we trust? Who can we know is telling the truth? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the final part of that proclamation, that I am statement. He says, I am the life. Now, to illustrate that, I have this flask here. It's full of water. And we all know that we need water to survive. Without water, we would die. And this is a a reality, especially for Middle East cultures. Desert people know that water is vital. If you you don't have any, there's no way of having life. Um, In our trip to the to the Middle East, uh, a lot of the people said the, the next battle, the next war, uh, conflict in the Middle East will not be over oil. It's going to be over water. They are going to have to uh, protect or take over sources of water in the Middle East. I mean, we even see it in our country. In California, the water battles from Northern California and Southern California. Water is necessary. It is what gives us life. 
And Jesus here, when he says, I am the life, he's not talking about quality of life. You know, he's not talking like high roller lifestyle. He's not talking about uh, abundant life. He's not even talking about longevity of life. When he's talking about life, he's talking about spiritual life. Actually, eternal life. Jesus told the Samaritan woman in John 4, verse 14, that he gives living water. He is the source of life. In verse 14, he says, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, from chapter 4, John 4, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is the source of life. Jesus gives us living water. Therefore, he says, I am life. Jesus is the way to follow, the truth to believe, and the life to hope for. And finally, Jesus makes this this amazing promise. Remember I said, chapter 14, verse 1 to 14, there is a promise, there's a proclamation, and he finishes up with this other promise, which is astounding to me. He says, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That's verse 14. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. John 14, verse 12, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Whoa, that's, I mean, that's incredible. Jesus is making this astounding, amazing promise that whatever you ask him, he will do on the surface. Because we have to be careful. Jesus is not saying he's an ATM machine. He's not Santa Claus. We can't go automatically thinking, oh, can I get an A on that test? Can I get that new job? It's not that kind of asking that necessarily God or Jesus is going to to uh, approve or give you. So a lot of times our human nature is to jump to that conclusion that anything, meaning anything that I want, will be answered by God in the positive. Because if we look in the context of those verses, we see that what Jesus is saying, he doesn't, he's not talking about a prosperity gospel kind of message. That be with me and everything on earthly terms is going to be cushy, wealthy, successful. That's not what Jesus is meaning here. If you read those scriptures, he clearly says, you can ask anything and I will give it to you if it glorifies God. If it is in the will of God, if it points to God and his plans, I will do it. He says, you, my disciples, will do exactly what I do, but you actually, which is the amazing part for me, and I want us to to actually see that and catch that, you will do greater works 
than I do. Greater. How can we do greater things than Jesus, who is perfect, who is God? Well, what Jesus is intending here is that, one, it's not about doing something more grander or more spectacular than Jesus. That's not the meaning of this word greater works. Because, you know, Jesus did some amazing miracles and healings. I don't think we can top that. But it does say, it seems to imply we can do them, but they're not going to be greater than, than what Jesus can do. So, so there is still an openness that we can heal people, we can uh, intercede and have perform miracles, but we're, they're not going to be greater than Jesus. That's not what he means by being greater. So that's one first point. So what does he mean? I believe that it has a kind of a twofold meaning. And uh, one, that there will be a uh, greater quality of purpose and a greater quantity in, in the works. The greater calling or the greater purpose that Jesus is, is implying here of that greater works is that Jesus had only three years to do ministry here on earth. And in that time, he did teach the crowd, but his main mission was to train 12 disciples and ended up only 11. But in those 11, those 11 disciples began to make more disciples. And in turn, those disciples would make more disciples. But that, what Jesus came to do was to begin a movement, a faith movement. And then he passed on the partnership of accomplishing that mission to his disciples. And that's what he's referring to as the greater purpose. His was just to train, and now the ones that he trained will have the greater work of multiplying the faith. And that is a greater responsibility, a greater purpose. And the amazing part, Jesus calls us to be part of that greater purpose. So that's the first take on what it means what Jesus meant with greater works. The second one is greater works in quantity. Because Jesus knew the strategy that he by himself cannot interact with everybody in the world. He chose to multiply disciples. And through the multiplication of disciples, they can go into the world to become fruitful and bear fruit and bear, uh, bring uh, souls of men and women to heaven. That's the greater works. Greater numbers. So one, greater purpose, and then greater numbers. That is why, for me, whenever we have baptisms, we are demonstrating evidence of greater works. And, and I think in a couple of weeks, I think we're we're. We're going to partner with City Team Ministries, and we're going to see baptisms of men who have gone through recovery and also made the commitment to follow Jesus Christ as his disciples. Multiplication. 
evidenced by baptism. And we'll get to share those moments, and that is proof that the church is following that greater works purpose that Jesus has called us to do. To abide in Jesus means his will is my will. And Jesus says if we have that oneness with him, our prayers to God in Jesus' name will be done. And that's an amazing supernatural power, which is what we get if we abide in Jesus. To ask anything that will bring glory to God and to fulfill the mission, God will provide. God will answer that. And that's an amazing power that we can have. Uh, I started my message with the story with my father. And I kind of want to go back to it to finish my time. And I, I had shared uh, when the doctors told us that my father had a very short time to live. That's pretty bad news. So how can you have any good news out of that? But God is amazing. So uh, when, uh, when my father, when I sat there in the hospital room uh, with my family and my father and the doctors there, I was watching my father when they gave him the news that uh, if you're fortunate, you may live uh, another six months. Uh, and uh, he passed away a couple of months after that. So he didn't even make it six months. Um, when I watched my father, he, he, was, he took the news pretty well. I mean, he was really calm. I mean, he had a, a very peaceful look in his face. And uh, he, he looked at me and he said, <clears throat> uh, Calvin, uh, uh, yeah, it doesn't sound good, but uh, uh, I've, I've, I've lived a good life. I'm ready to go. You see, I'm getting kind of emotional. It's been like 12 years. <clears throat> and, and I looked at my father. Yeah, uh, yeah Dad, you, you've done well. And, <clears throat> and so he, he, he told me his last wishes, some final arrangements, things, how to take care of my mother, you know, the, the financial, all the legal stuff. He told me, you know, we're all important documents and all that kind of stuff. Which is, you know, it's actually that's good that he had the wherewithal to do that. It's very important. To, uh, I know people who have gone through this. That's those are the complications that in in the midst of, you know, obviously the grieving has already started. That knowing that my father uh, had a very short time left, uh, but it gave me an opportunity to have these candid, serious conversations with my father and. And at that point, one of the things I, God gave me the, the opportunity to reconfirm my father's faith in Jesus Christ. So that's the good news, is that I sat and said, Dad, you know, I know you, you, you haven't gone to church very much lately, and, uh, but I know and I sense it's still important to you. So I asked him, you know, that, that commitment you made when you were a youth, when you got baptized, do you still believe that Jesus is your Lord and that he is the Son of God? And I asked him, you know, do you believe that he went to the cross for you so that your sins would be forgiven? 
And my father looked at me and he says, yes, I do believe. And I said, do you believe that once you pass from this earth, you will go to heaven to meet him? And he said, yes. For me, that's good news. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is good news. It should always be good news. Bad news was that my father was going to pass from this earth, but the good news is he will be with heaven. He will be in heaven with Jesus, our Lord. Jesus is always good news, but unfortunately, and I imagine for some of you in this room, Jesus is not good news. He's bad news, and you've decided to walk away from him. My encouragement is for you to give Jesus another chance to look at what it means to have Jesus as good news for you, to abide. Some of you, which may be even more sad for me, look at Jesus not as good news or bad news, but you look at him as old news, that he has become irrelevant, that it's not been useful for you. He's there, but not really. You're lukewarm. And my encouragement for you, if you're in that state where Jesus seems like old news to you, renew that relationship. Spend time. And remember I said, abiding often instills a lot of, in, in a lot of us this, this wanting to do things. Certainly, there are things that we can do. But abiding in Jesus is more, is, is more than just doing. Actually, before the doing, we must understand what it means to be, to be a child of God, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Because out of that identity, then it gives us good reason to do. And even one of the things that is encouraged as a sign of abiding in Jesus is, is prayer. But a lot of times, prayer becomes a laundry list of things of asking, a to-do list. And where I want to remind us all, it is more important to be with Jesus, to sit and listen and hear, hear him before we begin to talk to him. Abiding is to dwell. It is actually a concept of remaining still, God says, remember, be still and know that I'm God. Abiding is to be still, to be in the presence of our God. So where are you with Jesus? If you want God's joy in your life, then abide in Jesus, because Jesus is the way to follow. He is the truth to believe and the life to hope for. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a good, a good Father who sent his Son, Jesus, to us so that we may have joy in our life, that we may be reconciled back into your family for our sins to be forgiven for his act on the cross, but most importantly, to make us, call us, to partner with you in that mission to bring that good news to the world. So Lord, may you prune us, transform us, change us so that we may know Jesus in a very deep, 
and profound way. So we thank you in his name. Amen.